Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And we have with us today Rhonda Sunloff, uh, important, all-important hardware person. <laughs> I think she came in with a more fancy title than that. Engineer. Hard, <laughs> hardware engineer person. <laughs> so, Rhonda, what's your, what's your job title? <laughs> So right now I work in the hardware offering uh, management side, and but I, I am an engineer, and I spent a lot of time here working in different engineering areas, and uh, that's actually where we had a lot of time talking, Jeff, so that's, uh, that's a key area that I love going through is looking at what we put together for our hardware, how we tune our systems together, and I'm so excited to see them shipping out. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't help but notice that when we went out on the manufacturing floor, everybody seemed to know you. And you seem to know everybody. So tell us all about manufacturing. I mean, we see a lot of Z15s, you know, getting put on on trucks. And I'm assuming they're Z15s. Could also be storage devices, I guess. <laughs> what kind of stuff goes on in there? Like, is it all just slap it together, you know, <laughs> slot A into hole B kind of thing? <laughs> if only it were that easy. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, there's a lot that is under the uh, covers of what uh, happens here with the manufacturing side. And actually, they're at the point where they're working through really what they want to continue to innovate into the future strategy. So it's really neat to be there because you're really looking at the full life cycle of new product, new product strategies, and how that flows uh, forward. So they're actually doing uh, quite a bit of balancing between making sure that clients are getting exactly the features that they want going out uh, and that they're keeping an eye towards what we need next. So the team over there um, spends a lot of time really looking at how to make sure that we've got the system tuned uh, so that we really are, are living up to our zero failure uh, target for our Z system product. And uh, they, they really do a nice job of giving feedback back into the area that I'm in now as far as offering and where do we want to go with our strategy. So things that are working well, things that they want to make changes to in the future, and then how this folds into the future strategy. Um, it's, I love the folks over there. It's a very team-oriented uh, space, and that's why everybody knows everybody's names. Um, but it really makes a difference. I, you know, when you're in a department, you're uh, working with a team closely, and you're trying to make it the best possible product or the best possible solution, you spend a lot of time. It's like family. And so that's the way that it generally runs best over there is as a family. And um, I think a lot of the key areas that, especially across the different locations, even worldwide locations, those are the when you see the best teams mm. when they're working as a family. So Z15 was a huge departure from a, from a hardware perspective, right, as we kind of fit into those 19-inch racks. Did you guys start by saying, okay, I, I got to fit into this box. This is how we're going to um, arrange things or how, how did that come about? Right. So that's what I mean about like a long view of the horizon because uh, the folks um, in the development side, across the offering side, through the supply chain, all looking at what the overall strategy should be. Um, and so what you end up looking at, like way before Z15 started shipping, uh, you're you're looking through, okay, what do we want to try and end up at in the future programs? 
areas like the ZR1 gave us a chance. I brought my little ZR1 with me because it really stood out um, because it gave us a chance to really do some proof of concept work across the development team, the manufacturing teams, all of the various engineering folks and the, the offering folks to try and understand, you know, what are the capabilities? What could we build in? What can we see in front of us? And so the team spent a lot of time really looking at what opportunities they wanted to cultivate and grow over time. I know. I, that one needs the casters on the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a miniature one with casters, so. You've got to get Sharon Spalding to build a little crate for it. <laughs> But, yeah, it's it's a long adventure for all of us, but we've really come out of it with a product that folks spend a lot of time looking at what, what risks are in front of us and trying to make sure that we get through the hurdles. But that was a pretty big deal. I mean, everything had to change, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we try to build in, though, pieces that we would learn from in prior generations and then pulling that into what we know as our base background knowledge. Uh, so the teams uh, really try to sift a lot of that out, either in our prior learning or in what we can do with our proof of concept areas. That's one of the areas that the ZR1 was really helpful. Uh, while it didn't look to the scale of the Z15, it gave us a chance to really branch out into that foray and understand, you know, where do we think that we have some potential here? It's it's kind of interesting, this the scale of uh, what's being worked on over there, because people think about building a computer and it's like, okay, well, there's, there's like a, a, a motherboard, some cards in it, processors, memory, okay. And then it's in a case of some sort. And, you know, there's some offerings that go around it. The mainframe platform involves like literal plumbing and there's like a, a gigantic, you know, amount of metal that goes into it in addition to like the clean room type stuff where the, the memory dims are being loaded in and like it's 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 a it's a full gamut, you know, what's what's the, the uh, Olympic thing where you have to like run and ski and shoot and like pentathlon, pentathlon of engineering going on <laughs> over there. Uh, how many teams does the the build of a mainframe kind of spread out across. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> Three. <laughs> well, there's Bob. <laughs> uh, actually, it's funny that you say that because we uh, we tried to make a video, the assembling the mainframe in 120 seconds, back for the Z14 for the pervasive encryption launch to try and give folks a flavor. Uh-huh. So if you haven't seen that one yet on YouTube, it's uh, it was our speeded up version of you know what goes into the system. That's together. a great one. And it shows the lift uh, moving the machine up from the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of focus on ergonomics there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you got to be able to make sure that everybody can come back in the next day. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> you have to call me at home. <laughs> but, yeah, not, not really a job where you can work from home too much. Not too much. <laughs> No, but, you know, it's actually from a test standpoint, there are a number of things uh, from an engineering support that you can dial in and take a look at. And it's it's been really neat to see how things have changed over time, um, just as far as how well connected we can be across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's definitely an area where we spend a lot of time thinking about how to be the most efficient we can be. Um, so that team really spends a lot of effort so working together. Kind of getting back to like the the team thing. Like I know this is like a whole area just for like HMC and SE, 
and there's that other like clean room area where there's like you know the the, the CPUs and the memory going in. The rest of it kind of bolt in, ready to go, or or like what? What's the progression? Like, what's like the first thing that starts oh, okay. off? Okay, back to the nuts and bolts. Yeah, okay. I, want, I want to picture this thing in action. I want like a, like a Henry Ford assembly line kind of thing. All right, so the Henry Ford version. Um, so we we have all of our parts um, IBM designed. Uh, they come into building uh, six as far as our receiving dock. Um, essentially starting from the biggest building blocks possible. So the frame comes in essentially with nothing in it. Uh, you know, the other pieces come in and we've got a pre-build for what power is going to go into the frame, uh, what type of cooling is this frame going to get, and that is the kind of pre-build assembly. And then from there, we have a lot of testing that goes through with the various uh, pieces. We have our various uh, memory dims coming in. We'll, we'll run through a lot of testing for memory dims. They have to be tested at ambient temperature as well as elevated temperatures. So there's a lot of, uh, of work that goes into them before it even goes into a client, uh, client center. But... The key areas are really, you know, that processor drawer elements, the processor modules, the memory dims, uh, your I.O. cages. So all of your input and output from your storage, from your uh, cell phone signals, let's say somebody wants to do their transactions, any of your Ethernet connections, uh, all of those in the I.O. cage, um, all your encryption cards are there. You really have um, essentially a build-out of all of those features and multiples, depending on what clients are expecting to attach to. And um, they come together in pieces, so you end up with a whole room that is very highly skilled in processor module plug and very skilled at trying to understand the, the testing procedures. Uh, same thing with memory dims. You have an area of folks that are really expert at not only inspecting the memory dims, and you, you think about <laughs> the number of things that could have gotten lodged on a memory dim or in a memory socket. Even at home, you know, you have to be careful about how you do that. Who's been eating over this thing? <laughs> <laughs> So all of those folks have to be trained across uh, ESD so that they don't hit it with static electricity and you don't zap your parts. And today, parts are much more sensitive than they had been in the past. Um, and then from those smaller assemblies, you're essentially working your way out to where you're installing larger assemblies and larger feature cards into the frame. The front doors, though, don't actually go on until they get to the client. So even though we show that in the YouTube just because we love the front doors, uh -huh. it actually doesn't go on until it gets to the client. Um, so once uh, once the client were to get it, all of these are installed by our um, our IBM folks, so our SSRs. So those service reps will go out and essentially make sure that everything uh, is up to spec and all set to turn over to a client before it flips on. You mentioned uh, that we have this really cool video, two minutes basically, uh, from start to finish. How long does it really take to build a single box? <laughs> So there's always the IBM answer of it depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, 
we spend a lot of time on the supply chain side talking with the field about what do they expect clients to order. And so a lot of analytics actually goes into how you plan to have the right parts on hand. So if you have all the right parts on hand, Mm -hmm. you could get a system through uh, various stages of test and build and all of its inspections, all of its checkouts within five days. So inspections, like... Yeah, make sure the brakes work. Yeah. (laughs) Windshield wipers are working. Horn. (laughs) So our testing procedures go through the bulk of things that need to be tested on the machine. There are a couple of things that we have to test for UL certification, for example. So if you're going to be certified to put out electrical equipment, uh, there are TUV certifications. There's probably a list about a mile long of certifications that we end up applying for for each machine. And that type of checks and balances a lot of times will include their final check at the end of the line. So back when, in the dark ages when I started, um, the build of a machine was all done by robots. You don't do that anymore, right? Uh, it's all done by people. I always understood that the, the reason it was, it's done by people these days is we don't really put out vanilla boxes anymore. Is that true? Every box is specific to what the client needs it to do. Um, So there's not one cookie cutter format that works for every client. Um, Now, that being said, we try to be as consistent as possible. And so that was one of my job roles on the supply chain side was to try and build consistent sets of instructions. If you always torque this to a certain torque amount, then it's always that torque amount. Um, But within the system, as far as what features go together and what you're looking for out of test, those are all as unique as our customers are. And to that, did that number of possibilities must have like exploded with having four interconnected frames. And and I was also, I was talking to somebody about just the, the cabling and the pathways between those two frames. Now, in addition, to just installing those parts, you also have to keep track of like what length cables get included and all that kind of stuff. So how does that all get kept track of. <laughs> they have pixie dust. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just some guy out there with a tape measure like, oh, about yay long. <laughs> It'll yeah. be five cubits. <laughs> you know, though, I, you know, back in the uh, beginning of the stages when you're going through the high-level design, so high-level design is where uh, the development team is really trying to get a high-level envelope, like a, a rough envelope of what size, how big, how much, and in order to con- make it consistent across all the teams. And to some extent, we do stand out and do some amount of standing there with a tape measure and trying to figure out, okay, what what makes sense? Uh, There's a lot of back and forth that the development team will do trying different configurations, trying it in CAD. Tons of stuff gets laid out in CAD at this point, trying to look at what is the optimal configuration for where parts are with respect to each other. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the layout in our Z15, we have an an app actually for the interactive product catalog. And if you look at it on the IBM interactive product catalog, you get an idea of some consistency. Even though you make changes to how many I.O. cages, for example, or how many processor drawers that you might want to see, um, you see that they stay in consistent places. 
And we try to keep that format. It reduces the amount of fluctuation that you see on the manufacturing line, and it makes us more efficient when we're doing things like that as far as labeling cables and trying to make sure that the field folks know what we're trying to do. Does, does the customer get to pick, like, I want all my OSA cards down in, in this area and all my, you know, FICON up here or... So we've got um, a whole team that looks at plugging rules. and <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> what do you do for a living? <laughs> plugging rules. <laughs> There's a lot of balancing that happens across a system. Um, part of that is to make sure that we're meeting our own internal requirements and, and the requirements that we've shared with our clients about making sure that we have redundancy and that we have backups across the system. Mm. And so you have to be careful which items are on which uh, power plugs, for example, because you need the redundancy there. So, for example, crypto cards are typically ordered in pairs, and you're trying to separate them somewhat in order to keep them uh, within those redundant paths. So uh, there are clients who have particular formats that they'll have to call uh, <laughs> call in some special favors uh-huh. <laughs> and try and uh, and get, you know, in this box I always wanted in slot A3 or whatever. Uh, but it takes a little bit of, of effort to do that. I, I think in general clients would, uh, it works out very well for them to use our balancing format. So it's kind of important. You've you've talked about some of the some of the uh, people involved in this in, in the supply chain, and you know when I think of supply chain, I think of a person going, "Okay, well, we're <laughs> going to need fifty of these things and twenty of those things, and bring them in." But it sounds like what you're talking about is more than just I have a I have X number of parts, and I have to make sure they keep coming at the right order. Yeah, there's there's a lot into the analytics that runs behind the supply chain um, and from a development side, even trying to make sure that we've interconnected enough with the teams to understand what what the various analytics are at play. Um, so not just lead time, but also, you know, where in the world is it coming from, for example. So that's especially with the number of uh, things going on in the world today. That is uh, something that heavily factors into the analytics at play here. And the people that are doing this, they're not really bean counters. Um, these are actual engineers, right? These oh, are, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's not like, oh, well, I've got a spreadsheet and you're filling in the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, there's a, especially at the beginning of a program, there's a lot of discussion back and forth around what's running well, what's, what's not running well, um, uh, to try and help estimate where we need to be. We do try to keep inventory levels down from a supply chain standpoint because you don't want to also overbuy everything. Uh, somebody has to use it at the end of right. <laughs> at the end of the story. Um, but all of the engineers will look at it with an engineering uh, focus and try and understand what is the scenario that we're trying to consider here. What does the client need out of this? So all of these parts are controlled by engineering change levels. And these engineering change levels, if you're a DB2 person, you can watch them march across <laughs> <laughs> the engineering change database. And you can see how uh, parts volumes uh, adjust, how we assign a particular engineering change to cut in right away if a client really uh, is going to be impacted by something if we don't uh, change it sooner than later. There are other things where, um, you know, it's it's just better for us and it doesn't make a difference to the client. And then we have more flexibility about when we break that in. 
mainframe launch days are like a, a big deal, like around Poughkeepsie and Raleigh and other you know mainframe centric sites. By the time we've found out like what the new thing looks like and what's behind the scenes, like are you guys like already tired of looking at it? <laughs> <laughs> um, we we spend a lot of no, we're never never ever tired of looking at it. Let me start there. <laughs> good, good. So all these pictures and all the little toys and everything else, we're never tired of looking at it. Um, but we it, it does mean that at that point that we've launched it, we've already started into the next generation, if not the one after that, oh. looking at how do we expect client transition over time from program to program, and then what do we need to be building at different times? So as you can imagine, the lead time for putting together a processor chip with its 9 billion transistors <laughs> is different than the lead time for the orange bracket that goes on the back. So so everybody has their element uh, and their spot in the lead time. And so some of the items have to come just by the nature of the beast earlier than others. So, so when did you guys start working on Z50? Ooh. <laughs> so there are a lot of different teams. So as I was mentioning, the whole spectrum of the strategy piece. But uh, it would be several years ago for the folks that were really working through the explorations. As we were going through all of the Z14 explorations, folks were trying out different scenarios, trying to understand what would work well together. Um, you know, folks like Bill Kostenko, folks like Charles Webb, Christian Jacoby really spend a lot of time looking at the strategy overall um, to make sure that we go program to program smoothly for our clients. Because if there's anything else, uh, the Z clients need to have predictability to some extent um, because of the types of businesses that would depend on a high reliability Z system. So it's, it's important, right, is that uh, we go through all this and we're trying to do innovative things but we want it to be predictable. And it, it seems enough. like those predictable things, enough. Right. So so it's it's weird that those things are at odds, right? Because predictable means you don't change at all, right? But you how do you guys come up with that balance of like I need to keep moving forward, but I need to make it so that when it arrives on the floor, people it will work pretty much the way people expect it to. And we spend a ton of time in my new area talking about just that. Um, how do you make sure that you're out ahead enough of what you want to be able to offer to a client? So if you're thinking two years out, five years out, what is it that they're going to need at that point in time? And so you're making some estimates based on where they've been been going, some estimates based on where the market in general is going. We have new markets that are coming on all the time and just trying to understand, you know, what are the different forces that we see at play. Some of it is a certain amount of trying to read the tea leaves, and some days are better than others for that. But every time, as long as we keep learning with our clients. Um, and that's one thing that you see in including more of this design thinking with clients is to try and balance, you know, are we getting enough of the client input, enough of the client horizon in front of us when we're thinking about what we want to put together next? So I, I couldn't go into 707 and find the, the Z magic eight ball somewhere. 
There's got to be at least six. <laughs> there, there's one, uh, Ray Newsome, we call him the Oracle because he does a, f- a good job predicting also. There's another joke in there for people listening at home. <laughs> Talking about like the, the lead out time and how long it takes to put stuff together, like I'm, I'm just thinking about like the different complex components here is like, you know, the Again, like the the OSA cards, the orange bracket on the back, and like the the cooling and all the, the those valves and stuff like that. There has to be like a cutoff point at one point, you know, where they all get developed individually, and then they all have to magically kind of come well, together. Well, that's just it. Yeah, they're not individual and um, not entirely. Um, what we the, what I was mentioning before about the high level design is that essentially you're carving out an envelope that you say this is roughly the power profile, this is roughly uh, the size profile that I'm expecting, and you dole out across the different areas, whether it's processor, I.O., et cetera, you dole out a certain amount of the envelope that they're allowed to tackle. And folks will develop somewhat on their own then come back together then on their own then come back together then on their own come back together and there's a lot of negotiating that happens throughout this whole process and you're building like a theoretical system even in the theoretical katia side of things um, because some of the things that you have to be concerned about are things that are shared across all of the teams so things like what is the thermal profile for the system Everybody has a part in that, and you're initially doing a lot of estimating in the tools. At some point, you have real early user hardware, and you start showing where your modeling matches or or needs tweaked from where you had estimated. And then you are back to horse trading and <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, where can you give and take um, a couple of, of milliwatts here or there or a couple of millivolts here or there. So we've been talking a lot here about hardware, but you've kind of kind of connect that hardware to to all of the different pieces, right? The software pieces as well, and and how do you kind of put all that together with you know the hardware, you know the different operating systems that, that kind of work there, cloud strategy, the cloud strategy, the um, AI strategy. I mean, it's just. Um, a ton of different moving parts. How do you kind of make all that fit? <laughs> I, you have some really great questions. <laughs> I must say, we're, we're just in constant awe of stuff working because we both we both came up in tests, so we're, we're just like, uh, yeah, it never works. Yeah, it never works. <laughs> uh, well, I'll say uh, from a project management standpoint, um, this role has been the most interesting because you see most of the different themes coming through, and you see different deliverables that IBM has put out, that IBM Z has put out, that IBM Security, and you, you're looking for where these elements can come together. So if you don't mind, I'll, I have one that's oh. saved to my phone <laughs> here because I um, I spend a lot of time listening to music, and uh, my kids play music, so this is a whole nother uh, <laughs> level of discussion. But this is part of the 1812 overture, right. and I'll play a piece of it just so you remember what it is and then I'll tell you why I think it's important. <laughs> Does it sound familiar? Yep. There's the cannons. <laughs> All right. 
date. <laughs> so let me stop there. But the reason that I was playing it and the reason I love it from a project management standpoint is because you're really looking for these stories to keep moving. They, they still have momentum. And when we bring out the hardware and when we bring out the new operating systems, you want them to be aligned enough that you can really hear the, the excitement in the music as they come by. So it's, uh, it's an amazing piece of uh, imagery to think that each section would be playing their own different piece of the music and yet they all have to st strike the same beat at the same time to really make an impression out on the marketplace. Because that strength in impression, especially if you think of uh, us consolidating all of our marketing messages around think and how do we put out material in media these days, you know, trying to get that big impression on our market is really a key area that we're trying to hit. Full force. It's, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> and that, and it's, it's the first, the first time I saw one of those happen around a mainframe lunch, like, Oh, what an amazing coincidence. All these things happen at the same time. And I'm like, you idiot. Like <laughs> that takes so much work and some pushing and some pulling. It's, From all of the teams. Yeah. Right. It's a lot of negotiating across all the teams figure out what goes where and so that we don't step on each other's toes. I mean, we do want to make sure that we're playing nicely with other ends of the business um, so that we come together when it makes sense for us to come together. And then we have separate areas where we can carve out our own niche. And that's really important if you're trying to drive innovation but still have a modicum of control, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We, we are recording this on uh, February 14th, and uh, you brought a bunch of stuff with you. I'm assuming these are not Valentines for Frank and I. So <laughs> what, what, what did you bring here? You have some pretty interesting-looking stuff. Well, I, uh, I brought a variety of things. I, I brought my miniature mainframe, um, my Z uh, slash Linux One system here, uh, because it sits on my desk, and I love it dearly, and uh, <laughs> I, I stuck it in my pocket to come here for good luck. <laughs> Because you should always have a mainframe in your pocket always. for good luck. Yes. Always. Yeah, I like that. I, uh, I brought some of the IEEE magazines because um, in case we got to a spot where I could uh, talk a little bit about tuning. So tuning for systems, we, we really spend a lot of time, even though my background is on engineering, trying to tune to get the right set of engineering aspects, the right set of code tuning um, to all play nicely together is very important um, because if you're trying to get the lowest latency, you know, the fastest signal through, uh, you really need all of these things working concert. And I, I know that I don't need to tell you guys that. You've seen it in test, <laughs> but um, it wasn't something that was as uh, clear until I really got into the guts of, you know, how do we tune the Z system here? Um, I brought some other odds and ends just because I think that um, folks here, one of the things I love about IBM is that some of the most interesting and diverse uh, cast of characters mm -hmm. <laughs> that I've ever worked with and any of the internships, any of the different places that I've worked, I really love the folks here. I, it's, it's really been a lovely uh, adventure so far, and so I'm looking forward to a lot more. And can you talk a little bit about your engineering background? 
Uh, sure. So I, my background is mechanical engineering uh, from University of Ma Maryland. And when I got up here, I realized that I would love to dig in deeper to a lot of topics. So I went on to do the master's with RPI. Um, and I've spent a lot of time working through project management certification um, while working. So all of this kind of goes hand in hand because I think it means more when you're trying to apply some of these. Absolutely. So yeah, case in point, so I, I taught for a little bit at, uh, at college and it turns out that you don't realize what you know and you don't know <laughs> until you stand up and try to share it with someone else. And that is just very true here also is that you get into something and you realize you have this list of things that you wish you knew better. And when you find that you're taking with you a Python book or another a textbook with you to say, oh, I, I need to find this and how to do this better, that's when you realize that, yeah, I love my job. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, it's really cool that, that you, you know, you're an engineer, you have an engineering background. You're also kind of um, well-versed in the project management um, component of the work, right? Which, which in most people is divergent, right? Either do one or the other. Mm. What would you say, what's the power of the melding of of those talents? I think um, f everybody's different in what they love to do. And my personal uh, favorite thing is understanding how things work and, and really understanding where we can tune them, where we can make adjustments. So trying to pull together a team of folks who are also methodical and they are very passionate about their approach to their work and making sure that we can get support for things they need, that we can get resources for what they need, um, in addition to seeing how the whole thing works. I just love seeing how, how the different pieces come together and when you come up on a roadblock, how to try and clear the roadblock. So. Uh, it's it's a little bit of everything for me. I know folks who have uh, stayed in the same area for many, many years and absolutely love what they're doing. Every new program comes up. It's a whole new set of challenges. Uh, for me, it's been very helpful to move through some different areas and see those. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, I had been over on the supply chain side for a long, long time because I, I dearly loved not only the new programs, but the family aspect of it. Um, and so that's something that I brought forward with me when I moved to, to this role. But you you really never cease to learn things. And I think that the biggest thing is that you're always learning something. If you get to the point, whether you've moved around a lot or whether you're, you've been in the same place for a long time, if you get to the point that you're not learning or you're not excited about learning the next thing, then it's probably uh, worth some thought to think about, <laughs> you know, what, what is it that you want to learn next and how do you want to help out? Can't beat that. Yeah, I'm, but you got it to the end. Yes. <laughs> So I want to take this opportunity to thank you, Rhonda, for coming in and, and helping us understand a picture that we don't normally get to see. Thank you very much for having me. I, I was really excited to come here and share some of these. Old, old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net.
Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.